All right. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be home. And um, before we, we turn in our Bibles, um, Dad mentioned this morning that our group, when we were just in Egypt, we had a chance to sing in one of the great pyramids when we climbed up in there when we were touring there. And so I believe there's a video that's just about a minute and 45 seconds long, and you guys can see and hopefully hear what that sounded like when we sang in the pyramids. And so. I guess I forgot to explain that we also sang the last verse of How Great Thou Art in Arabic. And so if you can understand the rest of that, we weren't speaking in tongues. We just switched over to Arabic really quickly. Um, so yeah, our group there, of the six people you saw singing, four of them were Canadians. And so can Canadians are represented at West Coast very well. And they did an awesome job. And um, so we were just there in Cairo singing at a conference, at Spiritual Leadership Conference. And there was about um, 600 people from surrounding nations in the Middle East who, um, for the first time maybe, or um, maybe one or two other times in their life have had a chance to meet with Christians in a big group and be able to sing and worship, worship God on a capacity that we have access to all the time with all the conferences and things that we have here in North America. And so for them, it was huge. And so it was an incredibly moving experience to be able to go to a place and see um, how those people worship God and see how excited they are about the things of God and about the Bible. And it was a real blessing to be there. Um, but one of the things that we had to do was be a little bit careful when we went to Egypt about who we spoke about what we were doing there to. And we had to be careful not to give too much information because that country is not predominantly Christian. There's um, everywhere you went, there is massive mosques and not a lot of people would be excited that we were there holding a Christian conference. And although it was a safe place where we were, um, I was on the plane ride over and we were in London for a layover. And I had two guys from Montreal, Canada, who were half Egyptian, seated next to me. And um, I started to talk to them, and I found out that they were Christians. And the guy from our group, who was a part of our security team, kind of asked me, what are you saying? You need to be careful no matter who it is. And for the first time in my life, I had to be worried about giving the gospel to somebody. 
It had completely changed my perspective on the freedom that we have here in North America, and that's kind of what we're going to dive into tonight. So if you'll take your Bibles, it's going to do Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 17, and we just had a group here. I, I was home just a little bit over a month ago on April 27th. Some of you were here that night that we had a West Coast quartet singing here, and our group came up, and um, we sang for the Young People Can Serve God night, and it was awesome. And, um, and soon after that, we moved on to um, youth conference in Barrie, and I was so excited to go and sing there because that's the conference I grew up at since I was 11 years old. And um, I was sitting there listening, and um, I was just feeling incredibly blessed. I was thinking to myself about everything the Lord had allowed me and our group and in our school to do that semester. And I'm thinking back, you know, the Lord allowed me to sing in Hawaii just a few months ago. And we're singing there in um, Barrie at the youth conference. I was so thrilled to be there. And I'm thinking in just a couple weeks, I'm going to get on a plane and fly to Egypt and sing there. And out of nowhere, this, this thought pricked my heart, and I felt the Lord speaking to me and, and said, Austin, I know you're excited about all these cool opportunities and getting to travel and sing and, and do all this fun stuff, but would you still be as excited to serve me if I called you to nothing? If I simply asked you to go to prison for preaching the gospel would you be as excited about it? I started thinking about Egypt as I was sitting there and thinking about the lack of freedom that they had there and thought to myself, what if I ever got in trouble or what if I was ever put in a situation in a dangerous place just for preaching the gospel or trying to tell somebody about Jesus and I was thrown into prison or worse, threatened with my life for the gospel, would I still be excited to serve Christ? Because I understand that the ministry is not just getting on planes and going to cool places and meeting new people. It is sharing Jesus with everybody you come into contact with. So as I began to think about that, and then I went to Egypt and saw the sacrifice some people were making for the Lord, I began reading in this passage about some of the disciples who went through the very same things and the persecution that they went through for spreading Jesus. So in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, God's word says, then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is in the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, This prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within." Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto unto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain without the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be here, Lord. I thank you for this chance to open your word. Lord, I just pray that this will speak to hearts tonight as you've been working on mine. Lord, I pray that you'll use me and fill me. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So as you read through the book of Acts, you will see this this cycle of the disciples getting in trouble for spreading the gospel, either getting beat or thrown into prison or worse, and then they, they get released by some miracle or something happens, and then they go right back to doing what they were doing before. And we're just coming through one of these cycles where the apostles were were spreading the gospel and it says that in verse 18, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So they get thrown into prison and while they're there, an angel shows up. And I think that's an incredible thought right off the bat that God knew exactly where the apostles were and he knew that he was going to take care of them. And I don't believe that they were in there sitting there moping and wondering what was going to happen next. I believe that they knew at that point, after they had just seen the risen Christ, that God was powerful enough to take care of that situation. And so this angel walks in and simply opens the door open, open right for them. And they walk out. And you're thinking, if, if I'm thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, I'm probably going to want to lay low for a while. But they didn't have that choice because the first thing that the angel tells them to do is says, and go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with this, but I think we can all agree the temple's a pretty public place. There's no hiding in the temple. And those who are in the temple are the exact same people who had just charged Jesus for blasphemy because he said he was God. They're the ones that turned him over to the Roman soldiers so that the Romans could crucify Jesus Christ And that's where the angel says, I want you to go next. I know you just got out of prison. I just let you out. But I want you to go to to the most public place with the very people who hate you for the message that you're spreading. And I want you to go preach and teach Jesus. And I don't see any argument here in scripture. All I see is the Bible says, and when they heard that, they entered in the temple early in the morning and taught They got a couple hours rest. They woke up early in the morning and they went and did what God told them to do. So they enter into that temple and then this is is the part of the passage that's a little funny to me because the high priest, they start scrambling. They start looking for the disciples and saying, we looked for them in the prison and we can't find them. What happened? The guards were at the door. The door was locked and and the prisoners are gone. What happened? And then someone comes along and says, I hate to tell you this, but the disciples are actually in the temple right now preaching Jesus. So we have the high priest and they run over there. And in verse 24, it says, Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Er, sorry, verse um, 28 says, Saying, Do we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So the high priest confronts them there in the temple and says, Did we not just tell you not to preach in the name of Jesus? You're blasphemers. That wasn't God who we hung upon the cross and killed. That was just some man who was pretending to be God. And for you to preach this message is blasphemy. And if you continue any of this, we're going to have to kill you or we're going to have to beat you. But you can't preach this message. Did we not tell you not to preach Jesus? And I love how the Bible addresses this. It says, then Peter and the other apostles answered. And I think we know this common theme in Scripture that Peter was the disciple who ran his mouth. I resonate with Peter very often because he is often found in Scripture doing something irrational or saying something he shouldn't do and getting himself in some trouble. But I also resonate with Peter that because I know despite where he often fails, God wants to use him. And so Peter speaks up, and it says, Peter and the other apostles, it says, we ought to obey God rather than men. He looks at the men who had just thrown him in prison, 
and says, I don't work for you. I answer to God. And when Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, he told me to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say, unless they're going to throw me into prison, unless they're going to beat me, unless they're going to hurt me. He just said, go and preach the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do. So Peter answers with boldness, and that's the first thing I want to see about the witnesses in this passage and the type of witness we should enter, endeavor to be. They had practiced boldness in their lives. This wasn't the first time that Peter or the disciples had been caught in this situation. Ever since Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, they had been gone out doing amazing things that the Holy Spirit had empowered them to do. They had been spreading the gospel and they had faced they had seen some amazing things. Many people had come to Christ, but they had also faced much tragedy. If you go back to Acts chapter 4, we will see just one chapter earlier where James or Peter and John are in trouble. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole? But be, be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved." Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John had just gotten in trouble because through the work of the Holy Spirit, they had healed a man. And some people looked at that and they said, this isn't right. And then they began to preach the gospel. And when they were confronted on it, Peter didn't run away and hide like we often do when we're scared of sharing the gospel. He said, this was done through the power of Jesus Christ who you crucified. That's boldness. Boldness that I don't know if I have. But Peter had it. Neither is our salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, I have to preach Jesus. You know why? Because there is not another name in this world from the beginning of time or until the end of history that will be capable of saving the souls of mankind other than Jesus. There's no other name where people can be saved other than Jesus. He had to preach that message. And it says, and what's interesting here is it says that they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, I know some people who feel like they can't share Christ because they don't have a lot of Bible knowledge. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to study God's word for a long period of time or only been saved a short time. Or maybe I, I had the opportunity to graduate Bible college or I'd never gone to Bible college or something. But let me just tell you, Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant men who God used greatly because it didn't matter how much knowledge they had. It mattered, are they willing to tell other people about Christ? The Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can understand every single doctrine. You can know everything about the end times in the Bible and eschatology and answer some really big questions that some other people can't answer. But can you tell somebody that Jesus loved them enough to come to this earth and die for them and that he raised three days later for their sins? 
I truly believe that God would rather use an uneducated witness than a Bible scholar who is ashamed of the gospel. You can sit there, and I can stand here with as much Bible knowledge. We can be, we can be learned. We can, nobody would ever classify us as ignorant. But do we care enough about the souls of other people to tell them that Jesus saves? You know what they say, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do you know how we show that we care? can't care about somebody more than caring about their eternal soul and going and telling them that Jesus loves them. They were unlearned and ignorant men, but when people looked at them, they could tell that they had been with Jesus. By your conversation, by your life, by do your coworkers look at you and maybe they don't think you're the smartest, maybe they don't think you're the sharpest, maybe you're not the one who does the most magnificent things, but when they look at your life, can they tell that you have been with Jesus Christ? If they can't, please ask yourself why. They were bold. And when people didn't understand why they would be willing to sacrifice so much, you look in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, it says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? Because Peter and John at this time, you know what they had seen? They had spent a large part, or three years at least, in Jesus' earthly ministry, watching him love people, watching him perform miracles, watching him cast out devils, watching him lay down his life willingly for the sins of mankind. They watched him raise himself up from the dead. They watched him ascend up into heaven. And they said, we have no other choice but to tell people what we have seen and heard. And you can say, well, I wasn't there for all of that, but you were there the day that you got saved. You were there the day that you were dead in your sins and Jesus Christ quickened you and made you alive and although you were nothing, he decided to make you something and although you were unrighteous and had no ability to get to heaven on your own, he declared you righteous. That's what you've seen. And I've grown up in this church long enough to, go, to watch God heal people from cancer to watch God heal people from heart conditions, to watch God take some of the angriest people and save their soul, and now they're serving in our church and loving people and being a witness. I've watched God do incredible things, and all I know with my life is I may be nothing special, but I can't help but speak of the things that I've seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? Maybe in your own personal life, this is Foreman saying that great song, We're Never Gonna Walk Alone. God has won some battles for you in your own life that nobody else has known about and nobody else will ever hear and nobody else will ever see, but you know when God was there for you, if you know God is real and you know he has the power to save, I beg you, tell others what you've seen and heard. Peter and John didn't know a lot. They were unlearned. They were ignorant, but they turned this world up side down for Christ because all they did was talk about what they had seen and heard and that was Jesus. They were bold witnesses. When our Canadian our group, tour group that was just here was headed back to the States, um, we were going through TSA and a man walks up to me and he's got this funny accent and, and, and um, I think he was from Scotland. I can't remember where he was from but I think it was Scotland. He starts talking to me and 
asks me what I do, asks me why I'm traveling. And I said, oh, we were just singing this Christian conference and you know, we're headed back to Los Angeles now. And, and I was like, oh, that's, that's great. And, and started to ask him about his life and his faith and found out he said he grew up Catholic. And, and we were just talking, and I, and I began to give the gospel to him, asked him what Catholics believe. And although I have an idea, that's just often how I can get someone to tell me. They say, oh, I believe the, the Bible says this. And, I, and then I get to share, well, here's what, here's what God's word really says. And we're having a conversation and it gets time to go through um, customs. And um, so he had to go through a different line than me because I have a U.S. citizenship. And so I'm going in this line. He's going in that line. And we agreed that when we got through customs, we were going to talk some more about the gospel. And he was open. He was super friendly. And I didn't have a track on me. So I asked one of the girls in our group. I said, hey, do you have a track? Um, I was just talking to this guy about the gospel. And she said, sure. And she gave it to me. And he was within arm's length. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Austin, give him that track. You know what I said? I said, no, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. He's kind. He's nice. He, he agreed we'd have this conversation. We're going to talk about it in a couple of minutes. So I'll just hold on to this, and then I'll talk to him. And then when it's done, I'll give him the track, whether he accepts Christ or not, and he'll go on his way. He was within arm's length of me handing him eternal life on a piece of paper. And I said, and I ignored what the Holy Spirit told me to do. And I didn't see him again. And I've thought about it every day since then. Someone who was so kind and so nice and walked up and approached me and I had the chance to give him the gospel and sure, I had started, I had obeyed, but when God said do this, I didn't have the boldness to obey. And I have no idea if the Lord used me to simply plant a seed and somebody else is going to water it and maybe one day he's going to get saved down the line. That's my prayer. All I know is I had the chance to send the gospel with that man wherever he was headed and I disobeyed and I don't know if he even made it home and I don't know if that blood's on my hands or not I just have to trust that God is good but all I know is that God brings people into our life every single day and you say how do I know the right person to give the gospel to how do I know when it's the right time are they a person if the answer is yes they have a soul And they are going to heaven or hell. And if you have an opportunity to, give them Jesus. Because you don't know if they're going to make it home. And you don't know if you will ever have the chance to see them again. And you can't take that chance when it's forever. I messed up. And that's on me. But I believe that God is good and God is not willing that any should perish. And I believe that man is going to hear the gospel again one day and get saved. And that's my prayer. But if not... That's my fault. They were bold witnesses, and I beg God that he allows us to be bold witnesses. They were also rejoicing witnesses as we continue on. It says in verse 39, one of the members of the council said, but if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest he happily be found to even fight against God. One of the members of the people who were trying to get rid of the disciples says, listen, guys, If their ministry is of God, there's nothing we can do. Because if it's real, we can't fight God. Right before that, he says, if if it is of man, it will come to nothing. So what is your life? 
Is your life all about you? Are you serving in the flesh? Are you living in the flesh? Because even the enemy in this passage knew that if our lives are about ourselves and we don't allow God to work and God's power isn't behind what we're doing, it will become nothing. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Guys, we have the victory. I read recently... A pastor shared that when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he said, it is finished, the actual translation of that word, it does mean it is finished, but what Jesus Christ was really saying is, I won. It was finished. Jesus Christ had won the victory and he has won it once and for all and none of us who have accepted Christ can be plucked out of the hand of the Father. In verse 41, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They weren't just bold witnesses, they were rejoicing witnesses. We've rejoiced tonight. I've seen plenty of you raise your hand in worship to God over what he's done. But when was the last time you rejoiced after you suffered shame for the cause of Christ? When was the last time? Because in the very verse right before this, When they realized they weren't going to get through to them, it says they beat them one more time and sent them out, and they ran out of those doors rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. And I don't know if I can say I can do that. That's why I've been reading all of this. That's why I've been studying all of this, because at one point or another, I realized that I really wanted to live for God. I was a sophomore in Bible college when I realized that if all of this is real, if God's word is real... If people really are dying and going to hell, then there's absolutely nothing else worth living for. But God has been working in my heart lately and asking me if this is something I'd be willing to die for. Because the gospel is a message worth dying for. And I believe there are plenty of Christians who are willing to live for God, but would not be willing to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ. And you know how I know we're not willing to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ? Because we won't even lay down our time. We won't lay down our pride. We won't lay down our selfishness. We won't lay down our sin. We won't lay down anything. Why would we give up our life? And you say, this is a little too serious for where we're at. Nobody's threatening our lives. Nobody says we can't spread the gospel. Well, praise God, go do it then. What I saw over there was a room full of 600 people who meant it when they said, I'd be willing to give my life for the cause of Christ. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were bold witnesses. They were rejoicing witnesses, but they were also consistent witnesses. In verse 42, it says, And daily in the temple, in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus. They said, We've just been instructed and beaten, and imprisoned, and had our lives threatened, that we should not preach or teach in the name of Jesus. So I think the best course of action would be to obey God and teach and preach Jesus every day in every single house. Not a day went by that they weren't sharing the gospel with somebody else. And that is why these men who were so full of the Holy Ghost and willing to give it all changed the world, and we are able to have Christ. Because they were willing to sacrifice. They were consistent witnesses. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 27, I'm almost finished. I'm going to read these verses. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 to 27. I'm going to start reading. God's word says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, 
Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. In the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know what Paul said? He was headed to another city, and he said, I don't know what's going to be in that city. I know in a few cities before me, all that's awaiting me were whippings and beatings and imprisonments. He said, I don't know what's going to be there. All I know is that the Holy Ghost wants to work. And so I'm going. He said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. His life didn't matter to him. Not in a detrimental way, in a sense that he knew he had been bought with a price and God met him on that road to Damascus and asked him to serve him and Saul gave his life to the one and true living God and became Paul and said, my life is no longer important. It's not dear unto me. The only thing I'm supposed to do is serve God, whatever that means. Why are our lives so dear unto ourselves Why is it that we are so consumed with everything that we need to do that we can't worry about someone's soul? Paul said in verse 26, Wherefore I take to you this record day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He said, My conscience is clean because I have been sharing the gospel and teaching the whole counsel of God to everybody that I come into contact with. He doesn't have to feel the way that I felt when I met that man in the airport and God said, hand him this track because God knew I wasn't going to see him again, but I didn't know. And Paul said, I have not failed, or I have, excuse me, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. His conscience was clean from the blood of all men because he had simply done what God had called him to do and that was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hate to tell you this, but your life is just not more important than someone else's soul. You say, well, it's not my personality to walk up to a stranger and give them a track. I don't care if it's not your personality. That person's going to heaven or hell, and you could be the only Christian that they ever come into contact with. It's not who I am. I don't have the time. I'm busy. Your busyness is not worth somebody going to hell. We will never, ever have enough excuses or a good enough excuse to stand before God and say, here is why I did not tell that person about Jesus Christ, who you died to save. Your life is not more important than somebody else's soul. It never will be. Because Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those which were lost, and when he saved you, He wants to make you into the image of his son. And all Jesus Christ did while he was here was the will of his father. And that was to save sinners. And we have been given the great commission to spread the gospel to everybody. There's a song that we sing called The Cause of Christ. I'm sure you've heard it. And I've sang it with tour groups through the years in different places and at school chapel and in church at Lancaster. And we brought that song in our repertoire to sing in Egypt. And before we would sing a song... 
My friend Josh would explain what the song is about in English, because about 500 of those six or 700 people didn't speak English. He would explain what it's about, and then a translator would explain that song in Arabic, say, here's what it's about. And the song says, for this cause I'd live, for this cause I would die. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. It's a beautiful song. And as I was standing there singing, there's a man in the audience who only spoke Arabic, but they wanted to record our music, and he lifted up his phone to record this song, and my heart broke into a million pieces because the testimony of that man, he actually meant the song that I was singing. Because there I was singing, for this cause I'd live, for this cause I'd die, and this man that lifted up his phone to record our song had just escaped a country in the Middle East where they had thrown him into prison for sharing the gospel with somebody else. And then when he got out of prison the first time and shared the gospel again, they put him back in and they said, this time we're going to deliver you to a bunch of Muslims on death row who are going to kill you because you're a Christian. And we're giving you to them as a reward. And they brought him into that room and they tried to make him renounce his faith in Jesus Christ And they said, just simply say that you're a Muslim so that when we kill you, you can go to heaven. And he said, I am a follower of God, but I am not a follower of your God. And they beat him until he couldn't move anymore and he couldn't breathe. And the guard thought he was dead and came inside to check on his body. And they wrapped him up in a blanket and threw him somewhere because they thought he was dead. And then when they realized he was alive, they decided that they were going to release him, figuring he probably learned his lesson, and they had him sign something that said he wouldn't spread the gospel anymore in that area, and he leaves the prison, and he walks out to find out that his house had been taken, his car had been taken, he no longer had a job, and his wife was living on the street. And at that conference, not to mention, we had the man come up on the stage while some of the pastors prayed over his wife because she has cancer. You know what that man is doing? He's going to do some medical tests on his wife while they're in Egypt, and we took up an offering to hopefully help him with some of that. Then he's going back to that country to share the gospel. Because that is somebody who really means it when they say, for this cause, not only would I live, but for this cause, I would die. And there I am, singing a song perfectly safe to stand here before you tonight and proclaim that the message of the gospel is a message worth dying for and there are people all over this world who have to live it and I'm not saying that you have to be in danger I'm not saying that you have to struggle I'm so thankful for what we have here in Canada but what I am saying to you is maybe if we wouldn't just be willing to live for the gospel but we'd be willing to die for it we could change the world for the cause of Christ right here where we are I don't know if I'll ever be put in that situation, but right now in my life, I'm just be honest with you, I know I want to live for God. I don't know if I'd be willing to die when that opportunity or when someone threatens me. I don't know. I hope that the Lord would give me enough boldness to stand up and say, I must preach and teach the things that I've heard and seen, no matter what the cost is. But I truly believe that as we sit around and we argue and we fight and we worry about the smallest things, thinking that that's going to make a big difference, let me tell you, here's what makes a difference, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and giving that to someone and allowing God to change their life so that they can go and pull some more people out of the fire and they can spend an eternity in heaven. That is what changes the world. The gospel changes the world and the gospel is a message worth dying for. So the only things I want you to think when you leave this room tonight is am I simply a witness of the wonderful message that God has given me And when I look around and I see all the people that I come across every single day, do I just see them as people or do I see them as souls that are going to go to heaven or hell? Am I a witness? Did Christ die for these people? What am I going to do about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you for the gospel. Lord, I don't know where I'd be without the gospel, but I know that you gave yourself freely and you die and you rose again, and all that you want right now, Lord, is to see this world come to you. I pray that we'll be bold and rejoicing witnesses. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.